Happy New Year's Eve. Last Sunday was Christmas Eve. It seems so long ago. Monday was Christmas. Lots of gift giving, lots of receiving, all of course celebrating the ultimate gift of Jesus from God. My Graham is a wonderful woman, a wonderful grandma, and a wonderful gift giver. But my grandma used to give gifts with always a little twist to them. She'd give you the main gift, the meat and potatoes, maybe a card with that, but then my grandma would always give us a page of stamps. And this was my grandma's way of telling us that she expected a thank you note in return. <laughs> you had the pens at home, you had the paper and the envelopes. As much as my siblings and I did not want to write thank you notes, my grandma gave us the stamps and there was no excuse not to write her a thank you note. Now that we had received the gift that she had offered, this was my grandma's way of telling us we needed to respond wisely. And so that is what we'll be thinking about this morning. How do we respond wisely to this gift that we've been given? We come out of this Advent season marked by remembrance of the Jews as they awaited to receive the Messiah. And so how do we respond to this gift? It must start with receiving well as we receive the gift that we celebrate on Christmas but a wise response is necessary. How do we respond wisely? That is what we are going to be thinking about this morning. But first, let's all pray together. Lord, we thank you for this gift. Lord, we thank you that we can come before you, Lord, and celebrate and worship the gift of Christ alive in us, Lord. We praise you for that. We ask, Father, this morning, you show us deep truths about your word, Father. We ask, Lord, that you open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law. May we see you in scripture. May we see you and rejoice and respond in wisdom to what you are providing us, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We praise you for this ability to come together in community, Lord. Community together to worship you. Community together to praise you, Lord, and to exalt your name higher and higher, Father. Lord, I pray that you give us a spirit of humility as we seek you, Lord. We seek you in your word. Lord, truly, Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. We praise you and we thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen. So this morning, we will be in Matthew chapter 2. If you'd like to follow along in those Bibles in the pews or on your phone, but the scripture will also be behind me on the screen as well. So starting in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2, listen closely. This is the word of God. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and said, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod, who was an extremely terrible and cruel ruler, heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Disturbed the king, disturbed the kingdom. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, he replied, he replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel, a prophecy that was fulfilled from the book of Micah. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. 
On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. A second fulfilled prophecy, this one from Hosea. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, which fulfilled a third prophecy from Jeremiah, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. So now, as we look toward responding, we move past the birth of Jesus and into his childhood. There are not many stories recorded about Jesus' childhood. Miles mentioned one from Luke about Jesus being presented in the temple. Luke records one more about Jesus at the Passover feast when he was 12 years old with his family. But Mark and John omit Jesus' childhood entirely. And the only other story we get about Jesus' childhood is from this Magi story. It's commonly misassociated with the Christmas story, but the Magi came not actually at the Nativity. There are a few things about the Magi that we commonly think of that are actually a little bit wrong. The Magi were not present at the Nativity scenes. Historically speaking, there should not be any Magi that are present at our Nativities. When they saw the star, they started around a 900-mile journey from the east, which would likely be modern-day Persia, or modern-day Iran in Persia, coming to Jerusalem to worship the king. They didn't show up until at least a couple weeks, but likely more like a few months or even a couple of years after Jesus was born. We also usually assume or act as if there were three magi, which is a number we get only based off of how many gifts they brought, but there may have been as few as two magi, but there were likely many more all coming together in mass to come and visit Jesus. These magi were not kings, as the famous song labels them, but they were probably servants in the king's court, and they were men who studied the stars, a hybrid between astronomy and astrology. As for the camels they may have ridden, I have no idea if that's true or not, but I will never understand how people ride camels with such a big hump on their back. I'm sure some of you guys have done it, but I just will never get it. I don't know how it works. Church tradition also offers us a few interesting things about the Magi, suggesting that if there were three of them, their names may have been Caspar, Melchior, and Beltajar. It's believed by some that the remains of the Magi are in the Cologne Cathedral in Germany for people to visit to this day. And church tradition suggests to us that the Magi may have run into the disciple Thomas after the resurrection of Jesus, and Thomas preached the gospel to them and baptized them as they believed in Christ. None of these things, however, are in Scripture, and we have no way of validating them as true or not. We call the Magi wise men, yet there was nothing special about their wisdom. It wasn't inherent to who they were. They were certainly very curious, very knowledgeable and learned, but they didn't possess some sort of special, unique wisdom. However, though, as we look at this story, we see that what the Magi did was act in wisdom. Men who acted in wisdom throughout their decisions. We can label these magi as men who acted in wisdom, even though there was nothing special about that. 
They were very knowledgeable, but their wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom has been defined before as knowing what to do and when to do it, building upon a knowledge, but not only that. And the Magi were men who, at least in this story, acted in wisdom. There are many things that we can learn from them and how they acted in wisdom, and it's all based on the foundation of how they received Christ as the king of the Jews and how they responded wisely from that. The first thing that we see about the Magi is that they pursued Jesus. The Magi were men who pursued Jesus. The very first question as we read through the New Testament is the Magi in verse two asking, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? They pursued Jesus immediately. They didn't know everything. They didn't have this special wisdom, but they knew that when they saw this star, it was going to lead them to the king. The Magi were men who pursued Jesus. They pursued Jesus not knowing everything about him, but they knew enough to pursue him. They also knew that Jesus was not only king of the Jews in the future, but that he was born already as the king of the Jews. Most kings are not kings until they're at least in their teens in this age, but Jesus was a king who was born as a king. He didn't go through being a prince. He didn't go through any courts. He was king at his birth. And in their pursuit of Jesus, the Magi did not see this immediate fruit. They had a long journey ahead of them. And it would be naive of us to think that in our pursuit of Jesus, we will immediately see fruit as soon as we begin this pursuit. The Magi were not the first to pursue Jesus, but they did indeed pursue him. The Magi were men who responded wisely to the gift of Christ. And they were some of the first people to respond not only to Jesus, but Jesus as the king of the Jews. Interestingly, however, when the Magi finally make it to Israel, they did not first go to Bethany, where Jesus had been born, but instead went to Jerusalem. We don't know exactly why this is, but it may, it may have been because they thought that because the Messiah, the king of Jews, had entered into the world, everyone in Jerusalem would be worshiping him there. Jerusalem, the center of the Jewish, the capital, the center of the Jewish kingdom that they presumed was coming, where the temple was located, is where the Magi assumed that the people were going to be worshiping Jesus. And there's a sharp contrast here. The teachers of the law and the chief priests knew that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. They'd studied the scriptures. They'd studied the prophecies. They knew the law and the scriptures better than anyone else. Yet they were not the ones who were pursuing Jesus. They rattle off this prophecy in verse 6 from Micah like it was nothing. But they were not even aware that the Messiah was now in their midst. They were in Jerusalem, and Jesus was a mere five miles down the road in Bethany. And yet they expressed no pursuit, and they did not even acknowledge because they did not know that Jesus was in their midst. On the other hand, the Magi lived hundreds of miles away. They did not know everything about the Messiah. They knew of this star, and that if they followed it, it would lead them to the king. The Magi were pagans. They were not Jews. Jewish authority and rule had little to no meaning or purpose to them, and yet they were the ones who pursued Jesus. The kingdom was disturbed because the Magi entered in 
And they were the ones who came and worshipped the greater king. While the chief priests and the people and Herod were worshipping their lower kings, the lesser kings, lowercase k kings, these idols, the magi came in and disturbed the people because of their pursuits of the greater king. How often do our lives look like Jerusalem of this time? Jesus in our very midst, the spirit living inside of us as believers, and yet our lives do not reflect a pursuit or even an acknowledgement of Christ. We know who he is, and yet we are not always striving and pursuing after him. How often do we fail to respond wisely to this gift that has been given us? The wise woman and the wise men come into our lives, they look around, and they're confused. They're puzzled. They think, why is there no worship of the king? Why is the Messiah not being pursued? Why is there no change in this life that understands that the Messiah has come? The Magi were men who pursued Jesus, and our lives need to be lived in a constant state of pursuing Christ. We do not have to know everything. We do not have to earn anything. Yet because of what Christ has given us, because of what we have received, because of this grace in this gospel that has come to us through the gift of God in his son, we must respond wisely by pursuing Jesus every single day. That is our wise response. Whatever we are pursuing in our lives, those things can be pursued through the lens of Christ. When Christ is the center of our day-to-day, when he is our pursuit, when he is our daily bread, those things will fall in line under the rule of his kingdom. Our families, our spouses, our jobs, our careers, our futures, all of these things are great, and they need to be pursued wisely. The wisest way to pursue these things must be through the lens of Christ. It is not only wise, but it is commanded. This is what it means to live under the reign and the rule and the authority of Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom that came into the world as a baby, a king at birth before he was born. This is what it looks like to pursue Jesus. Responding wisely necessitates putting Jesus first. We cannot respond wisely to the gift of Christ if the priorities of what we are pursuing are out of order. Part of this responding wisely is also understanding that we are not wise. Spiritual maturity is acknowledging our immaturity. Spiritual maturity is acknowledging our immaturity. Wisdom is understanding that we are not wise. We do not operate in a perfect wisdom as Christians. We do not operate in a perfect spiritual maturity even though we believe in Christ. We must continue to acknowledge and accept the fact that we are lacking in wisdom. When we begin to think in our minds that we are spiritually mature, we are not walking in spiritual maturity, but rather in an extreme immaturity. Responding in wisdom necessitates a humility that allows us to understand that we truly are poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt, without wisdom or maturity in our spiritual lives as we desire it. Only when we understand this 
do we really have the possibility to grow in wisdom and in spiritual maturity? If our response is to think that we have all of the pieces put together, all of the answers, a perfect knowledge of who God is, we're missing the point. That is not wisdom. We must acknowledge this reality, that we are all spiritually immature and unwise. No matter how long or short we've been walking with Christ, we will never understand him, and we will never attain a perfect spiritual wisdom. The more we accept that we can never fully understand all of who God is, the more spiritually mature and wise we become. And the less spiritually blind we are, which allows us to more fully pursue Jesus. That is our wise response. And that acknowledgement will not stop as long as we continue to pursue Jesus. When Miles came up here and he said, it's time with children, in the middle of the worship set, that was not very wise. <laughs> but Miles acknowledged that it wasn't wise. He stepped off the platform, back to his seat, and acted in a spiritual maturity. Miles acted in wisdom by understanding that he wasn't wise. If Miles had stayed up here, ignored the next song, that would have been a lack of even more wisdom. But Miles acknowledged the lack of wisdom and he walked in wisdom, right? I was reading Proverbs last night, and I think the Lord really wanted me to share this verse today. In Proverbs chapter 30, verses two and three. I am the most ignorant of men. I do not have a man's understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I acknowledged or knowledge of the Holy One. Spiritual maturity is acknowledging our immaturity. Walking in wisdom is pursuing Christ. And the Magi pursued Jesus with an express purpose. They weren't purposeless as they approached Jesus, walked 900 miles, or maybe on the camels. They had an express purpose. And their purpose, we see in verse 2, was to worship Jesus. That was the culmination of how they were responding wisely. In that very same first question, we see this purpose in verse 2. They have come to worship Jesus and nothing else. They came to worship the king of the Jews with the intent and reason without anything else but to come before him and worship him. Even as they finally approached the house in Bethlehem, in which Jesus was staying at, before they even stepped foot inside the door. Verse 10 says that they were overjoyed. They were in a state of pure joy and exuberance before Jesus, before they even entered the door. Before they'd set their gaze upon the king, they were already in the state, in this posture of worship toward him. And as they walk into the door, the magi fall before Jesus. They bow down before him. They give him these gifts. They praise him. This was them fulfilling their express purpose of worshiping Jesus, the one whom they understood to be the king of the Jews. The Magi's wise response to the gift of Christ was to bow down before him, before this child, and to worship him. It was a pursuit and worship of Jesus for who he was. It was an entire focus on Christ because it was all about Christ. Their worship was not about themselves. It was the entire focus and fixation on who Jesus was 
and who they were praising as they stood before this child. It was not about themselves. The mark of their wise worship is that they understood it was not about them. It was fully about the Messiah. And their worship was incredibly humble. These grown men, these wise men, bowing and kneeling before a toddler. They understood that they needed to worship Jesus in humility. Even as a baby, Jesus commanded that the knees of men should fall before him, a beautiful picture of what was to come. That at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth, from every tribe, people, nation, and tongue, should fall before the Lamb and before the throne. The Magi understood this beautiful correlation between wisdom and humility. There is no wisdom without humility, and there is no humility without wisdom. Everything that is wise is humble, and everything that is humble is wise. True wisdom necessitates a humility. That was the wisdom that the Magi responded in. Our eyes fixated on him alone. Our wise response of worshiping Jesus because it's all about him. And I want us to look at the gifts that the Magi offered just for a second. Not because the Magi necessarily had any sort of special significance in giving those gifts or because they had any sort of special metaphoric value to them, but the significance of what these gifts are can direct our worship to the Lord. I loved what Abby said about worship. These gifts can help give us a picture of who we worship Jesus as. The gift of gold speaks of royalty. Gold was an offering given to kings and queens, crowning them in royal majesty, ruling over all the land, all of the people, with all authority, they would be given the gift of gold, acknowledging them as a ruler of the people. Jesus is our king. He is the king that we are to worship and to offer this gold to, lifting up our praises and our adoration to him, understanding that Jesus is on the throne. Even as a baby, Jesus was born as the king that we are to worship. Offer Jesus your gold as you acknowledge and remember him as king. We must offer Jesus our gold. We must worship him as king. Frankincense is a type of incense which was used in temple worship to worship God. In Exodus chapter 30, we see that the frankincense was used for the pure and sacred, holy offering that was to be lifted up to God. It was not allowed to be used for anything else. The frankincense was reserved only for this incense that was to be lifted up to the Lord. Our worship must be for God and God alone. It has to be. Like incense rises up to the Lord, our praise and our adoration and our worship must rise up as a sweet and pleasant aroma to the Lord, lifted up to him because Jesus is God. Even as a baby, Jesus was born God incarnate in human flesh into the world to be worshiped 
as God. Offer Jesus your gift of frankincense and worship him as God. And the third gift, myrrh, was used in the preparation of a dead body. In John chapter 19, after they had taken Jesus off the cross, Nicodemus brings 75 pounds of aloe and of myrrh to prepare Jesus' body for burial. The body that had been nailed to the cross, the body that had stood in your place, the body that took the wrath of God, became sin, bore the wrath that we deserved, the body that died as a sacrifice in our place. And the myrrh was used to prepare the body for burial, acknowledging that it had been dead. Jesus' body was dead, only to, be rose, only to rise on the third day, but Jesus' body was covered and prepared with myrrh. Jesus is our sacrifice. We must worship Jesus as sacrifice, offering him our incense, our myrrh, sorry. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. King, God, sacrifice. This is who the Magi came to worship, whether they understood it or not. This is who we must come and worship. Jesus as our God, lifting up our praises to him because he is the deity we worship, like incense. God is our king, crowning him with gold as he is the ruler who reigns over our lives. And Jesus is the sacrifice who stood on the cross in our place. This is who the Magi worshiped humbly. The gifts that the Magi gave to Jesus are the same gifts that you and I are to offer Jesus today. Understanding that Jesus is our king, Jesus is our God, and Jesus is our sacrifice. A humble worship directed to Jesus because it is all about him. We respond wisely by pursuing Jesus and worshiping Jesus. And so as we seek to respond wisely to the gift of Christ through pursuing him and worshiping him in humility, we must somehow have a wisdom that leads us to these wise actions. Steps of wisdom need to be accompanied by actually being wise. So where does this wisdom come from and how can we grow in it? In his letter, the Apostle James writes this. If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. This is James' reminder to us that we lack wisdom. Wisdom is not something I excel in. Humility, even less. But James reminds us that all of us lack wisdom, but if that we humble ourselves before the Lord, and we understand that God desires us to be wise, God responds to our prayers for wisdom and blesses us with it. God wants you to be wise. He wants you to respond wisely to this gift, and he will give you the wisdom that is needed. 
Proverbs 1 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we have a fear of God to understand that we lack wisdom, if we have a reverence, a respect, a fear of God to understand that he wants to give us wisdom, that fear and that asking of God will allow him to give us this wisdom. So as we seek to respond wisely to Jesus, we must have this wisdom that the Lord has given us. I've been so incredibly blessed to have been raised in this body. And one of the primary reasons for that is because of the extreme wisdom that has been modeled by so many wise women and men of this church. I could name dozens upon dozens of men and women in this room right now and who are not here, but servants who embodied for me what it meant to live wisely. Back in youth group, we used to call Jeff DeLamar Jefe. And Jefe means chief in Spanish. And we call Jeff this for a couple of reasons. The first is that all you needed to do was remove the F at the end and put an E in there, and it's spelled Jefe. But the second and the primary reason is that Jeff, like the chief leader of a tribe, Jeff is incredibly wise. Jeff embodies wisdom. And yet, even Jeff lacks wisdom. We all do. As humans, we all lack this wisdom. We will never have a perfect wisdom. And so what I'd like to do to close us out is to submit to you a New Year's resolution. Tomorrow is the first day of 2024. And what would it look like if we could commit to every single morning praying for wisdom? Not complicated, not complex. Maybe it's 20 seconds while you're putting your clothes on or in the shower, but praying and asking the Lord to give you wisdom because we need it. That is a commitment and that is a resolution that will be worth it because asking the Lord for wisdom is one of the most wise things we can do. So I offer that to you. I submit that to you. What would it look like for every morning to ask God for wisdom? Wisdom to respond wisely. Wisdom to receive Christ afresh and anew that morning. Wisdom to understand the grace that he has given us through his son. Wisdom to preach ourselves the gospel that day. Wisdom to pursue Jesus. Wisdom to understand that our spiritual maturity is acknowledging our immaturity. Wisdom to worship Jesus and to worship him humbly. Wisdom to respond to Jesus in worship as our God, as our King, and as our sacrifice. Wisdom for whatever it may be, but wisdom to respond wisely to this gift of Christ. Lord, I thank you for this, this promise, Lord, that you give us. Lord, I want to pray James 1.5 over this body, over these faithful servants, Lord. Lord, I ask that you bless us with wisdom today. Father, I ask that you give us this wisdom, Lord. You bless us with the wisdom we lack. Lord, allow us to acknowledge and understand and remember that we lack wisdom and that we need to seek you for it. Father, we come before you humbly. Father, lead us in worship as we praise you, 
as our king and as our God and as our sacrifice, Lord. Bless us in a humble worship. Father, I pray that you impress upon our hearts the need for humility and the need to worship you in wisdom. Allow us to respond wisely to you today as we come before your throne, our knees bent, bowed at your feet as our Lord. We praise you, Lord, and we ask this all in your name. Amen.